edges and everything. I'm going to tell you. Okay, we're live, and it is End Times for Dummies, Lesson 4. And we'll start as we did last week, since we've got so much on our timeline, with the timeline. Well, there it is. So, last week, we had uh, the resurrection of Israel, the uh, gathering of Israel. Joseph Judah are joined. One king, David, over all of Israel, a Torah-keeping Israel. We talked about Gog and Magog, and then a new temple. So, uh, let's see, somebody volunteered to put at least one of those red letters up on the timeline. The uh, R for resurrection, G for gathered, JJJ for Joseph and Judah joined, K for king, one king David, TK for the Torah-keeping Israel, GM for Gog, Magog, and T for New Temple. So, Gregory, just jump in there, man. Just stick those letters somewhere on that uh, thing. See if you're first, since this is all about sequence, you can't be wrong. <laughs> right? You can't be wrong. Just put it under the black line. Here he goes. Do, 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 da, do, 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 And there we have an R sometime after the diaspora. But before the millennium. Hmm. Okay, I think he took the easy way out. No, really, go ahead, Josiah. Jump in any time there, bud. Not the question will be, will he go in Uber? Or will he just jump in there with something completely different? I would have uh, Brock jump in and uh, put something on there, but he's too far away. So uh, good morning, good evening. And good night, Brock. All right, JJJ coming after the resurrection. That's Joseph and Judah joined after the resurrection. That was an interesting. Mm. Um, I thought I did the same thing on my timeline. Yeah. Only because I was kind of assuming that Ezekiel was in something of a chronological order, which is not necessarily. It's not necessarily, but we have to assume that to begin with, unless the text tells us different. It, potentially, yes. The only thing that's different is that the, the, it's two different prophecies. So yeah, it's possible yeah, that yeah. there's not any chronology to it, them at all. It's possible, but you gotta, you know, we gotta start somewhere. So, all right, good, all right, let's go, bud. Here he is. Oh, I did exactly what decided. So. Yeah. So it, it must be. It must be. At least from a majority perspective. All right, here he goes. J M. That's uh, Joshua Martin up there, leaning after the millennium. And putting in a very light. What? Can you can you can you get a little darker there, bud? It looks like it looks like coming in. It's a T right at the end of the millennium. He's put a Tesla logo. I love that. <laughs> That's actually the new temple at the end of the millennium. Although it could be when they finally come out with their new car. Yeah, <laughs> the Model Y or the new uh, was it Spunk? Sputz. Funk. Sputnik was the other. That's no, no, no. Guy. This is this is some kind of uh, funky pickup truck thing. I guess I'm not going. Yes, go. With two uh, drops okay. in a row. So the the new temple at the end of the millennium. That's interesting. See, that's actually yeah. what I did also. Is it really? It is. Um, so it you're is. you're uh, leaning on the revelation thing then. Oh, he's gonna put it up above, above. He's going above. My bad. Here he goes. We could do this Ooh. here. We've got a. Or a go, my go, and two options. One here. at the beginning, one at the end. 
This is the same thing you did last week with your Gog Magog deal. I'm going to argue that one, but we're going to do it after we listen to the sages. Okay. I am inclined to put it at the end, but that's just my personal thoughts. I think you were last time, too. I was. Yeah. I have not changed. Okay. Well, we'll see if the sages can change your I mind. Felt, I felt actually more convinced. I felt oh! Like oh! I like it. The gauntlet came down. I love it. Um, are we uh, are we keeping going here, or...? Well, uh, I'm I'm more than willing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay up here. Just do a double there, and... Uh, Let's One see. King David, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, well, I think we're going to put it probably right in here. Okay, so after we have a joining of Israel, Joseph and Judah, but before the Gog-Magog incident. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Um, there is also some, not in this week's homework, there is some sage commentary that supports that as well. Correct. Correct. Although I wouldn't necessarily agree with the conclusions in that sage commentary. <laughs> That's right. But it does, it does hint at this. Good for you. Good for you. All right. So what are we going to One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's two missing. Uh, I see the temple. I see Gog Magog. How about Torah keeping Israel? Josiah. What, what's up with that? Let's get part of He started. Oh, yes. So what's the deal there, man? Where are you putting that? Oh, he's, he's moving slow. He's moving slow. Why not? Oh, oh. Not he sure. starts. That's a balk in it, baseball, it by the be. way. <laughs> here. It could be or here? It could be here. Before or after King David. Tour keeping Israel before or after, right before or right after, we get one King David. You know, I'm not going to argue with that. I could, uh, I could play either side. I could. What's the one we're missing now? Israel gathered. Well, I think, uh, I think the man in the room who's really got a problem with Israel being gathered by God is probably Mr. Bartos. So, I think it's uh, time for you to put a G on the timeline, timeline here, bud. You might want to put a, a G sub 1 or a G sub 2 on whether they join, gather themselves or, or God gathers them. Just it's interesting just so because they're, this is also kind of complicated. The whole thing is complicated. So, but are, I think, they, are they going to be gathered before? Ah, oh, look at that. After the resurrection. I like it. All right, for those of you... Uh, that, is, that is, in fact, the point of the resurrection, right? I like it. I like it. I like it. Right, right. Yeah, okay. So you would lean then towards God gathering, physically? Yes. Really? Okay. I'm impressed. Also, sage support for that idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So for those of you playing at home, uh, we have R. Uh, this is in order. Sequence again is uh, our, uh, our focus. R, then G, then the triple J, and then mm, Torah keeping TK. And then the king, possibly TK after the king. And then regardless, we've got the uh, Gog, Magog, and then finally the new temple. So I don't know that I agree or disagree, but I appreciate you men taking a, a stab at that. We're on lesson four, so let's open up our study guide now and uh, see what the sages say about Sukkot.
And having just gone through Sukkot, uh, we read that uh, prominent in the Haftarah uh, for Sukkot is the war of Gog and Magog. The uh, Haftarah of the first day and that of, of the Sabbath of Kol Hamoed deals with this war. And according to Rashi, this topic is related to Sukkot because everybody's got to go up for Sukkot when Messiah comes back. So somebody got Rez, uh, Zechariah 14, 1 through 21. Can you read it for us real quick? You don't need to be uh, very poetic or anything. Just uh, we're looking for speed. Not uh, anything else. That's a big Bible there. Try not to drop that on the floor. You might hurt something. You, on the other hand, have something that weighs about four ounces, and you have several versions of the Bible. That's outstanding. So this is actually smaller than mine. Which is shocking, because I never thought anyone could have a phone smaller than yours. You got it? He's got it. You got it? I got it. All right, let's hear it. Okay. Zechariah 14, 1 through 21. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, Bam. and your plunder shall be shared within you. And I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to wage war, and the city shall be captured, and the houses shall be plundered, and the women shall be ravished, and half the city shall go forth in exile, and the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And the Lord shall go forth and wage war with those nations, there like the day. The war Lord has gone forth. Like the day he waged war on the day of the battle. And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem from the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, a very great valley. And half the mountain shall move to the north, and half of it to the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach Azal. And you shall flee as you fled because of the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, all holy ones, with you. And it shall come to pass in the day that there shall be no light, only disappearing light and thick darkness. And it shall be one day that shall be known to the Lord, neither day nor night. And it shall come to pass that at eventide it shall be light. And it shall come to pass on that day that spring water shall come forth from Jerusalem, half of it to the eastern sea and half of it to the western sea. In summer and in winter it shall be. And the Lord shall become king over all the earth, on that day shall the Lord be one, and his name one. The whole earth shall be changed to be like a plain, from the hill of Ramon in the south of Jerusalem, but it will be elevated high and remain in its old place, from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the first gate, until the corner gate, from the tower of Hananel unto the king's wine cellars. And they shall dwell therein, and there shall be no more destruction, but Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the nations who besiege Jerusalem. His flesh shall waste away while he still stands on his feet. His eyes will waste away in their sockets, and his tongue shall waste away in his mouth. And it will come to pass on that day that there will be great consternation sent by the Lord upon them. Each one shall seize the hand of the other, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of the other. Yea, even Judah will fight against Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the nations round about, gold and silver and apparel, will be gathered in very great abundance. And so will be the plague of the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and all the animals that are in those camps, similar to this plague. And it will come to pass that everyone left of the nations who came up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to prostrate himself to the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoever of all the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to prostrate himself to the king, the Lord of hosts, upon them there shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and does not come, it shall not rain upon them. The plague on Egypt will be the same as that which, with which the Lord will plague the nations who do not go up to celebrate the, tab the festival of tabernacles. Such will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. 
On that day there will be upon the bells of the horses holy to the Lord, and the pots in the house of the Lord will be like the sprinkling bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts, and all who sacrifice will come and take of them and cook of them. And there will be no longer be a trafficker in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. So we see the uh, reference to Sukkot and the fact that as uh, Rav Haigaon says, the victory over Gog and Magog will take place in the month of Tishrei because it's either at or right before Sukkot. Nice. I, uh, I gave you Rav Hirsch's uh, discussion between Gog and Magog and Sukkot. And uh, I'm not sure if you thought that was as cool as I thought, but... I love the fact that they, they make the entire connection based on the fact that the name is spelled the same as Roof. Yeah. <laughs> it's, really it's, it's spelled the same as Roof, and so you get the whole Roof-Suka deal. Uh, but the, the mentality of it was that it's the, the battle of Roof against Suka, the fight of the Roof illusion of human greatness, which never allows rest, against Suka. The truth of cheerful confidence and serenity which comes of placing one's trust in God's protection. I just think that's very cool. It may not be true, uh, but it's very cool. Well, and then they, have, they, they, they further tie some of these things together with the tradition that the final redemption, redemption resting place of the righteous, whatever, one of the marking points is a sukkah. It's made out of the skin of Leviathan, right. Leviathan, right. Um, which actually does have a reference of sorts to it in the Psalms because mm -hmm. it talks about eating Leviathan. Right, right. Not um, only that, but uh, the whole concept of a, a, a rest remaining for the people of God just points to something in the future. So. And Sukkot has long been structured very much in parallel to the, what we're, the system we've been working with with the history of the earth, right? So you have seven days, kind of like 7,000 years, and there's an eighth day that's not really part of the Sukkot holiday. Right, it's a different holiday. It's a different holiday, and it's a rest day. Yeah. And there is an under and what's interesting about the breakup, the sages comment on this, that the first seven days, the offerings add up to the number of nations. So right. the idea is that the first seven days are like a festival for the entire world. Everybody's going to celebrate this. But the eighth Which day... Which is consistent with them having to come over to Sukkot. Right, fits exactly. But the eighth day... The offerings parallel all the other holidays. So the sages say the eighth day is like the after party just for God's for people. people of God, so yeah. if you think about the Olam Haba, the eighth day, uh, which conveniently enough, eight tends to have, an, uh, in, in, you know, in math, you see that similar to the infinity symbol is the mm -hmm. same as eight. Sure. And even in Judaism, the idea of eight is like a new beginning. So it's a new, yeah. something different. Right. Um, the 8,000th, well not 8,000th, post 7,000th year, being this time where God is alone with his people. It's not about anybody else. Amen. It's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Good, 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 good. Okay. Um, I got a kick out of the whole Hebrew thing with the, uh, with the mem there. Did you, did you catch that? Um, or means light. Ma'or is a luminary. That is a heavenly body which projects light. So, uh, gog, roof, Right, so Magog is something like a philosophy that has to do with 
uh, a hard structure and the ability to protect ourselves and so forth. I just thought it was philosophical. It was cool. It was a cool deal. Um, Zechariah prophesies that the cataclysmic war of Gog and Magog will climax with the final redemption and the acknowledgement by the nations that Hashem alone is king. And we have the uh, king pretty much before the millennium in, uh, in our timeline there. So I'm not sure that I think it would be that far away, but uh, we don't have anything but sequence. So comes it does right depend a lot on your interpretation of exactly where and how Messiah enters the picture for this war Gog and Magog. Well, I think uh, I, you know, you're right. Because the Jewish yeah. tradition around this, the Judaism teaches this idea that there's, well, they, they talk about two Messiahs. We think so too. They right. just split them into two. Right. So they already have Messiah number one, so to speak, King of uh, Ben-Joseph, on the scene. Right. He's the one who actually goes to war with Gog and Magog right. and is traditionally is killed in the conflict. Messiah King David shows up, resurrects the first one. The first one. Again, then, all of this sounds very familiar. And then um, kicks butt. And then, then, yeah, finishes them off. So, so from strictly the scripture we've been reading, though, there appears to be one coming of Messiah. So if you want, to, my position. If you want to have two messiahs that are, you know, fairly close together time-wise, you have to struggle with how you're going to get two comings at this late date. Right. I like the idea of one coming mm, a couple thousand years ago, second coming right around Separating now. Separating them further than, <clears throat> than near the end does seem to work better. Nonetheless, my point being is that. Um, there, there is an argument to be made for King Messiah appearing on the scene both before the War of Gog and Magog and at the War of Gog and Magog. I agree. So we're left with that tension of is the Gog-Magog conflict at the beginning or the end of the millennium if we're assuming that sometime before the millennium, right before Messiah comes. So we'll see. All right. Who's got Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20? Anybody? Anybody? I got it. You have it? Do you have it in English? Your brother had it in the book and was almost as fast as your film. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And look how strong he's getting, <laughs> carrying that thing around. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that Adonai your God has given you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise, and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that Adonai your God is giving you. So someone grab Isaiah one twenty six. somebody else grab Zechariah 13.2. It looks like Josiah is trying to jump on the Isaiah thing, so... You just got to figure out where it is in this Bible. Um, so this is, uh, you know, from uh, the portion show team judges, and you know, the, the midrash is you know, like you got to have both, right? You got to have policemen because if you don't have policemen, there's no judge. For somebody who's found guilty, who's going to make him follow the judge's deal, right? So the judge is powerless unless the policeman takes control. But Isaiah says, 
We've got judges in the millennium, but no police. What do you got in Isaiah 126, sir? And I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So, there we go. No police, just judges. So, if there's no evil or selfishness, according to the sages in the Messianic era, you've got no need for policemen to force the people to be righteous. Zechariah 13, 2, anybody? 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 And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, so that they shall be remembered no more. And also, I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. There it is. So, we still need judges, but everybody's going to be uh, doing the right stuff. Comments on, uh, on the whole Gog, Magog thing from the sages? They, uh, they see this as almost the opposite of the final redemption, I think. You've got a final redemption for God's people, and you've got a final rebellion of the world, of, of those who are the enemies of God. So the, the tension we need to work with here is what comes first, the final redemption or the final rebellion? I think one kicks off the other. I think that it would be the final redemption first, because all Israel and everyone who is going to be saved gathers into Israel, and all the nations see this as and just a chance. Get, to they just get ticked. Wipe them out once and for all. There it is, final rebellion. I like it. So you're into the uh, FRFR. I like it. I actually look at what to do it from the other side. Okay, let's hear it. I think that the final rebellion is what is what transpires. I don't want to say uh, What causes? What causes the final redemption? So precipitates. Precipitates. Precipita Ooh, I like it. I like it. It's just dripping with meaning. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you're saying that uh, the rebellion is happening. So you would, there must, be, there must be a gathering of Israel prior to that, right? Because you have somebody to fight against, no? Yeah. No. Yes or no? So has Israel been gathered so that this final rebellion can be against God's people? Or are they scattered all over the world and this final rebellion is more of a global happening thing? I'd say that. Okay, okay. So then the final redemption pulls all his people out of the way and then some buttage gets kicked. I like it. Okay. So it seems that in your home it could work either way, depending on which bedroom you're in. I got it. Okay. Other comments from the couch? Peanut gallery, anything? No? Good? One, one question. Well, one thing that's interesting to note here is whether the escape described in Zechariah through the, through the valley created by parting in the mountain of olives. Yeah. Why would you need to escape if there wasn't something from which to escape? Well, it definitely seems something to escape from. And I think that's the question is, is that escape a, a final parenthetical redemption following the quote unquote final redemption? Like, in other words, is I, it, is it, I don't, a, is I don't there, think I've ever seen anybody split that out. Like what I'm thinking of is in this scenario, 
let's say you have the final redemption and that you know people are brought together that everything's great and happy and wonderful and as Josiah described this upsets the world the world decides to mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Re- final rebellion in mm-hmm. your in your mm-hmm. comment to end that final rebellion God needs to extricate his people from yeah. that moment which is not necessarily the final redemption. We've already checked all the boxes for that. It's simply to get out of the way. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not seeing that. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to take stiff positions throughout this class, but I have a problem with that one. I, I think that this escape of which you've spoken is a method of providing the final redemption. Then it would seem to me, based on Zechariah, if it's to be understood chronologically, which is not always the case, mm-hmm. that the final redemption would have to occur after the final rebellion. Because it's very clear that things are very bad yes. when that mountain splits. Yes. And the implication seems to be that that whole battle... That a savior has come. Right. That whole battle leads up to this horrific plague yes. and violence and so forth which parallels almost identically the language used in, in Ezekiel about uh, Gog and Magog and yes. that whole war yes. and the way that it ends. Yes. So it does seem to me that based, you know, if, if what you're saying is the case, that that is the final redemption coming out of that, that it would seem to be rebellion first, redemption afterwards. Yes, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think the final, from what I've read so far, the final redemption appears to take some time, if you will. I can follow that. And that it is the culmination or the end point of the final rebellion. I can follow that too. Which fits with so many things we've seen. And and what we're going to see next week, uh, Scott will lead us in uh, uh, two passages from Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And then, I mean, we're going to be rolling through the Apostolic Scriptures now. I mean, we did did some very key passages out of the, the Tanakh. And now we're looking at what the sages had to say about some of that stuff. And in the next several weeks, we'll be going through the apostolic scriptures. And I think we're going to find something similar to that, unless we're carrying baggage in, and that's what we want to see. I know that's what you want to see, because you want to be right. I can tell. But to that point, this does fit the pattern that God's established in historical record in the past. The sages specifically in Zechariah, when it says, The Lord shall go forth and wage war with those nations, like the day he waged war on the day of the battle. My mind went to the Red Sea. So did Rashi's. Yeah. It's exactly what he says. Yeah. He says this As is part of the to redemption. That. He's coming in and fighting. Right, but it's to parallel the, the redemption in Egypt. Yeah. So in the exact same way, you have to your point. One way to look at it might be a a a, a redemption somewhat in stages, right. possibly. Right. Which you see in Egypt, yeah. where the people escape, they're let go, they come out with possessions and all this stuff. Egypt chases after them. And the final exclamation point redemption is kind of concurrent with that final battle. Yeah. It, it's almost like uh, a double tick, right? They're on their way to the promised land, and then we've got like another battle. And yeah, I see, I see that one again. It, it would be so consistent with the whole Passover every year. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about, it's the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath remind us of? Two things, right? Well, and even the language of this, of this Zechariah passage parallels some of the other language you see in, 
in the Pesach thing, it talks about this will be a day for the Lord. Right. Well, in Exodus, Passover is a night for the Lord. Yeah. You know, it's like it will neither be day nor night. Well, and it's kind of like this weird in-between time. Well, in, in the Exodus, he comes at midnight, in the middle of the night. It's like there's all these references that oh, have similarities. But, but here, it made it clear. You read it. It's dark. It's dark. It's a day of darkness and gloom. And then afterwards, it's when it's not even t even time. It will be light. Right. It's, yeah. It's but yeah. Light. But this. But there's a lot of similarity, and you get that also at the Red Sea too, where like the cloud moves yeah. behind them. And, yeah. And then the pillar of fire, the whole thing. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Noah and the wellspring. Well, Mrs. Bartos is asking on the chat if she if there's a way to see the timeline. No. Tell her that she should make her timeline based on the discussion point that I gave, reading it in order. Typical dad. He will be reposting this later. You can rewind it as many times rewind as necessary. Rewind it. Rewind if you need to rewind. <laughs> R G triple J T K K or T K, and then the G M and then the T. There it is. Or her husband can just text it to her. That's right. Or you can just take a picture of it. There it is. Very nice. Well, thank you for catching that. Okay, so now we move on to Noah and the wellsprings. I just thought this was kind of cool. In the Zohar, we've got this prediction that in the 600th year of the 6th millennium, so that's you know about 5,500 of uh, uh, the biblical year, or 1740 of the common era, 1740. Where are we looking at here, right? We're, we're about 35, 36 years before America declares independence. We've already got... Uh, the uh, uh, set table. What is that called? The uh, Code of Jewish Law here at 1500. We've, we've got our um, printing press uh, and the Industrial Revolution is about to uh, kick off and it says at that time there will be an opening of the supernal gates of wisdom and the lower wellsprings of wisdom preparing the world for the seventh millennium that is the final redemption. Like a person who begins to prepare himself for Shabbos on Friday when the sun heads downwards. This is indicated by the verse in the 600th year of Noah's life. All the wellsprings of the great deeps burst forth. And the apertures of the skies opened up. So you've got two things coming together. Hasidic thought and the Industrial Revolution. So you've got spiritual and physical coming together. And so the whole idea is why is the development of scientific and technological wisdom prelude to the Mashiach. And it says, one of the prophecies regarding the time of redemption is that all flesh will see together that God is speaking. That's right out of Isaiah chapter 40. That God's presence will be discernible to the physical senses. Scientific developments over the past 150 years have brought to our senses phenomena that were previously deemed supernatural. For example, television, radio, telephone. Man is able to see and hear from one end of the world to the other instantaneously. I'm on, I mean, we could we could do a, a video chat with Mrs. Bartos right now, and she could see the whole thing, you know, like she's she sitting there. So now the concept that there is an eye that sees and an ear that hears, and all your deeds are recorded in a book is no longer something left for the imagination. But for now, our physical senses can begin to appreciate this phenomenon. So when we read, for example, that uh, when he comes, every eye will see him, actually can come to pass. Well, and if that was perhaps somewhat limited by the uh, number of cameramen who work for CNN, yeah, that's right. um, yeah. this is no longer the case. I mean, 
uh, the explosion of social media has completely transformed the way that people see the world. Yeah. One person sees an event and videotapes it with their phone and posts it online, and literally everyone can millions see it. It's almost the exact same time. Millions of people see it and you know are commenting on it. So, yeah, it is. Uh, it is an astonishing thing. And here they've tied it together. The Zohar's intention was connecting the scientific revolution with the coming of Mashiach. Modern technology has brought unimaginable phenomena to our senses, which help us to envision the time when, quote, all flesh will see together that God is speaking. When was this prediction? This is in the Zohar. What, what timeline would that be? It depends on, on who you believe. The Zohar is either there or there. And so I'm pointing either at a time, you know, Prior shortly the after the Master, or right around Rashi time, or shortly after that. Um, there's a... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Arizal? The Arizal is more like 1400, but if he wrote it, something's really wrong. I mean, it's, it's really hard to, to, to believe that that could be the case. Um, so, because he's also the one who expounded on it, so... Yeah, so expounding on it is a little tough if you wrote it. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, uh, it depends on early or late. Either way, it was clearly a thousand years or more before now. It's a pretty close prediction of when things would happen with yeah. what was going on in the mid to early part of the 18th or yeah. 1800s. Yeah, so to see everything that's gone on and what we live with today... I mean, truly, when Daniel's vision in chapter 12 is that, you know, hey, Daniel, blah, 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 just, just kind of seal this up for now. Time will come when knowledge will increase and men will go to, you know, to and fro yeah. throughout the world. I mean, where's Greg Upham? Well, he could be in New York right now. Well, oh, he could be in Paris right now. Oh, he could be in the right now. Oh. It, he's just traveling all over the place. And knowledge increasing and the fact that, you know, Gregory can actually take a picture of that for his wife right now, send it to her right now, and she can be looking at it and say, oh, never mind, I'm looking at it. I mean, that's, that's well, really amazing. It's exponential, and that's the other thing that's so amazing. You think about, like, um, you, know, you think about these, these predictions and these, the prophecies and so forth, and I think it, there, you, you could get to a time in like the, around the middle of the 1800s and like, hey, this could happen. could take another thousand years. We could get there. Yeah. And it's like, the explosion. I mean, we literally Absolute went from explosion. there being, you know, wow, TV is cool in like what the nineteen forties yeah. to yeah. being able to watch, watch it on, anytime I want yeah. on my phone that fits in my hand while I'm going anywhere. And, and oh, by the way, it provides its own power. And while right. that's cool, though, but if you think about it from a different perspective, we already had a form of technology in the fifties and sixties. But if you go back to the early part of the eighteen hundreds. They had nothing, and they went to Wham. massive amounts of steam power, and it right. happened in like a twenty-year period, and then it exploded. So like, or, or or books. I mean, everything. The printing press. Yeah, everything yeah. was hand copied. Well, and in fifteen hundred, we get Gutenberg, and the printing press, and now you can actually have people have volumes in their homes. They can actually read stuff. We've got newspapers spreading mm -hmm. news that would never happen before. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, there's an idea that God is sort of like opening the gates for this to happen. This is the concept you hear in the Zohar, but this idea, so it's, I think there's definitely some merit to that. Almost like you have these, these sometimes centuries of silence where humans, uh, who knows what we've been doing. 
But then all of a sudden, somebody Area has this brilliant idea. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> Something brilliant, and all of a sudden, wow, we've got this dramatic change. But I do feel like right now, and I know that to Isaac's point, it must have felt like this in 1852, but right now it really feels like moving at breakneck speed. Um, the changes, and one of the things that was really interesting in um, the book, The Sixth Constant in Its Vote, they kind of talk about um, this idea of, uh, of idolatry and spiritualism that we kind of see present so much around the time of Noah, um, and kind of contrast that with the technology revolution we have today. And it's an interesting way of looking at it, almost considering like, okay, so up, leading up until the, the flood, um, humans seem to have tapped into a level of spirituality interacting with demons and other types of cre cre uh, created beings yeah. in ways that we can't, thankfully, even imagine now. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed to be quite commonplace. It didn't seem to freak people out at all. Um, and, and then, you see, in today's era, this would all look magical. It all look, and mm -hmm. to your point, the quote, this would all look supernatural. I mean, what we're doing today... Uh, with the ability to talk to people across the planet, no, or to Siri, or I can, yeah, I can, I can, I can talk into my phone in one language. It will spit out the other language, yeah. and the person next to me can understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal where it, we're at. It is, it is truly amazing, and it, it almost and feels it's like, like being in Star Trek. Exactly, and speaking of Siri, and and to that point, I feel like I feel like this sets it up to really be um, the potential for hey, Siri, stop. <laughs> for there to be a potential for. Hey, you. Slow. <laughs> you ever seen iRobot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sets it up in my mind to be a potential for this to be um, sort of the new uh, idolatry in a way. If you think about exactly what we just read about, about Gog and it's standing for the roof mm -hmm. and the idea of man's self-creation. Yeah, he's, he can control and protect Everything. himself. I mean, yeah. up until the last 200 years, you were at the complete mercy of God. You were at the complete mercy of the weather. The weather, which is God, right? I mean, God's, God's in control of the weather, right? So you're complete mercy of things out of your control. Mm -hmm. It doesn't rain, you starve that year. If it's too cold, you freeze to death. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. We now sit in air conditioning homes that are 70 degrees all year long. There's and, food always in the grocery store. And laugh at God. And we've gotten to a place now where humans can believe they can do it without God. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that really sets up so so poignantly, and tragically in the end, but poignantly, to a place where, as we'll read later in our, our study, people can actually be shaking their fists at God as fireballs are falling from heaven. It seems so yeah, illogical. It is, it is amazing. You're right. So, I, 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 I think it's, I, I think it's, it's amazing when you think that we can see things now that we couldn't see before. I mean, when when a wise father was a boy. The atom was the smallest thing there was on the planet. And since that time, we can actually see that an atom is made up of protons and electrons and neutrons, and we can see that. It's amazing that we can see things that we couldn't see before. And the fact that we can see spiritual things or perceive things that are potentially spiritual uh, is both uh, exciting and frightening to me. I find it interesting how that as we progress in being able to see things technologically, 
it becomes harder and harder for people to see things spiritually. Exactly right. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, one one gets stronger, the other one, out of necessity, seems to get dimmer. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's yes, yeah, a great point. So, just yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Just back to Mr. Sprowak's comment about technology blinding us from realizing that God, that we need God, that, back to your point, mm -hmm. two, 200, 200 years ago, yeah, right. yeah. a long time ago, that people were dependent on their beliefs in their idols and God, that he would provide rain and keep the weather nice for their crops to grow. And they were dependent on God. But now in today, people don't even take a double take at anything about God. They think, oh yeah, that's that's nice, that's nice. This mm. is the product of my hard work. Yeah. Or things that haven't happened by this chance. Is, yeah. I mean, we actually have the capacity yeah. for religions to exist, and the, the entire point of it is to say there is no God. Exactly. I mean, to your point, it. I think it's poignant that you've made a statement two days before the federal holiday where we pause to give thanks to God for provision, for protection, and so forth. Um, providence, as the, the pilgrims and in their day called God, um, that's, that's what they did, right? They recognized, you know, I don't know what you want to call him, but he's there, and it's by his hand that we've been saved, and, and so on. Um, you're right. Nowadays, uh, we've reduced the giving of thanks to God from Thanksgiving to Turkey Day. Hmm. And it's, a, it's an opportunity for gluttony, drinking, or football, rather hmm. than to pause and to truly give thanks, to say, gosh, it's you that gives us the opportunity to make wealth, and you've done that. It's you that provides the food, or the money, the, the job, to work, to get the money, to buy the food, to be able to eat, to be able to eat and actually throw away more food than most people will see in a year. It's unbelievable! And we don't do that anymore. It's out of favor. So, I think that's a bellwether of Messiah's return. And I think, based on what you've just read, you might agree that the sages were thinking the same thing. People are rebelling against. Yeah. And either passively, like right now, I think, or closer to the end times, more of an active rebellion, and then an act, and we see it. In certain cases, we see an active rebellion against those who would say that gender is decided by God. I got you. An active rebellion against a man's right to be a man. An act of rebellion against, literally, anything conservative or anything that came before that laid the groundwork for what we're reaping today. We must be there because if the norm was, as just I was describing, where the majority was a believer of God. The God yes. that we know. Yes. Not yes. the God that they've learned somewhere yeah, no, else. No, no, yeah, you're right. It was. Where our our founding fathers or mm -hmm. the originals who came over with the pilgrims, yeah. it was an understandable belief 
in God. Yes. You weren't there unless you had that. And 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 now it's the popular belief is to buck against the system. Absolutely. Where we are in a minority now, where even with the Catholics or the Presbyterians or the Christians, they're in such a minority. Not only a minority, but now we see that one of the persecuted almost hated, reviled, and seen as threatening Mm -hmm. groups are conservative evangelical believers. The ones judging against those who are the ones who stand up for truth Mm -hmm. are racist, bigoted, homophobic. I can go on and on with all the adjectives, but um, it it really is getting bad. And and this Thanksgiving, as I I, uh, have opportunity to get with my family, I'm I'm just reminded of how much has changed and and the, the world that I grew up in I mean, you, you hear these stories and you, know, you just kind of chuckle to yourself, but our, we, I don't think we ever locked the doors. Forget just the back door. We didn't, I don't think we ever locked the front door. You know, you know my, hat, my, my dad had a bunch of guns, but they were under the couch. <laughs> he never took them out. He never needed them. He never was, it wasn't into guns. He just inherited them. And, and you knew not to touch them. Yeah. You know, it was just... I was absolutely petrified when I did anything wrong, which was extraordinarily rare, I must admit, um, in our town. Because I knew my father would know before I got home. Because everybody in that town knew my dad. And everybody would tell him, I saw Joe doing such and such. And I was going to catch unholy hell. When I got home, I knew it. And it didn't happen often, but it happened often enough to dissuade bad behavior. I was just thinking about what we were describing, having that shift of our society being godly mm-hmm. to where we are today. And Gregory and I are the only ones who were part of the system with schooling. And do you remember when the Pledge of Allegiance was adjusted and it was no longer one nation under God. Do you remember that shift? I went to a Christian school. So you did not have that. Yeah. What did they do? I was at uh, Butler High School and I was in the ninth grade and I don't remember what the, I don't know what the wording is now, but we were mid-year and they changed it. came in because you say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. Sure. We Raise did. your hand. We did. I went to public school. And they changed it, and I remember even my teacher, it was a social studies class, my teacher, you could see, was bothered by this, but by law. They took out the undergrad? Oh yeah, my freshman year of high school. Wow. That would have been around 2000, 99 or 2000. And wow. if you think back, that's a really big shift in our society that just almost 20 years ago, we started to remove God from our early well, childhood. Well, early, early cities, they removed the Ten Commandments from the walls of the public schools. Mm. Mm. They were on, I mean, what, I mean, what a horrible thing. We're going to send our kids to these schools and they might read those Ten Commandments and they might actually keep them. Well, that no, would be horrible. But I would think that back when you were a child that Christianity would probably be pretty prevalent. It was very prevalent. But in 64, Supreme Court ruled, no, take it. And they took the 
Jones is a very conservative era. The fifties, well, I guess the sixties became a little more free loving. The sixties is when you know when the, the hippies. Were. You had something uh, you were you were going. You want to talk about hippies? Mm, Don't talk about yeah. your dad. Don't talk about <laughs> your dad. I was going to say something, but I forgot about it. And did you write it down? No, I did not. Unfortunately, I did not. Okay. I'm going to say that just to his point, we've gone over like perhaps 200 years from people actively hunting down people who had anything to, who seemed to have anything to do with um, the devil yeah. to point, people yeah. actively persecuting those who are believers. Yeah. Um, most people don't realize it, but uh, early in our country's history, uh, in the early 1800s, a man deliberately stood on the street corner and blasphemed the name of the master, and they put him in jail for blasphemy. Yes, sir. I forgot again. We're gonna start worrying about you. In, in the meantime, you know, just thinking about like the inconvenient truth about our forefathers. If you, as a marketer, if you needed to try to get a singular message across to every single person that was going to be in your country, yeah. You would put it on the money. Absolutely. And right on our money it is says, in, in God, God we, we trust. trust. They haven't changed that. That's right. To yes. my knowledge. There's been there's it's probably because of a cost factor to <laughs> print. Yeah. Probably or money. So there's but I just that that's very telling. In like, the halls, I think, of, in I think the halls that's of Congress astonishing. In the halls of Congress there are those same flags, right? All kinds of lawgivers. All down the walls. There's frescoes of lawgivers. They're all sitting down. So you gotta understand that. They're all standing up. The one sitting down is the one at the end, and it's Moses. And he's behind the Speaker of the House every time. Hmm. We definitely have a Judeo-Christian heritage. The, 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 the hall of Congress is lined with lawgivers, famous lawgivers from the past. And they're all standing up. And the only guy sitting down is the one at the end, and it's Moses. It's amazing, and you know they haven't taken that out yet either. But um, the, our Judeo-Christian heritage is is being ripped from us, and uh, I think if we bring bring it home and bring it back to uh, our timeline, we have been through now um, several different uh, timeline pieces that we've been looking at. Um, I just uh, found this one recently from uh, Shabbos 89b in the Talmud. Did you remember what it is? Gotta write that. Is that, is that a nervous tick to hold in your hand? Is that three times you forget? Oh, I have to. No, I did not. So, what I was trying to say is to your point that before. We began investing or putting much thought into from spiritual things into technology and steam power and electricity and all that stuff that everyone was focused on God and I think I already said this before and now they're not paying attention to God and even the media for example movies and social media and Probably a lot of people out there 
publicly proclaiming on the internet that God is either does not exist, does not matter anymore, is not in control of anything anymore, Correct. or is dead. Yeah. And there have been many saying that all along. They just haven't had a platform. Good point. Now they have a platform and they're pretty loud. The Talmud in Chavez 89b states that in the future redemption, we will say to Yitzhak, you are our father, more so than to any of the other patriarchs. This messianic quality of Yitzhak is evident here in the account of how Abimelech came of his own volition to make peace with Yitzhak, an act which is reminiscent of the time when, quote, in the end of days, the mountain of God's house will be established on top of the mountains. All nations will flood to it, and many people will go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of God. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. We'll close with that. The, uh, I think the sages are pretty clear that uh, Messiah is coming, and he will make things right. Is the oral Torah the Talmud? Is the Talmud the oral Torah? We had an Orthodox rabbi look us in the face and go, I don't know. But when Messiah gets here, he'll figure it all out. And I think if you're going to take anything away from what the sages have to say about this whole topic, it is that Messiah is indeed going to come. And he will indeed do what his prophets said he would do. He will resurrect Israel. He will gather them together. He will join them so they're not split anymore. He will set David or one of David's descendants over them as one king. They will keep the Torah. The world will fight against them. He will fight that battle on their behalf. And there will be a third temple into which all the nations will come so that they may pay homage to the king. Amen? Amen. Final comment, Josiah, fourth try. Here he comes. He's got it this time. Just one thing <coughs> that won't Messiah already know whether the, what's the difference between the Talmud and the Oral Torah is, and he won't figure it out, he'll just explain it. Yes. Without question. That is exactly right. Because he already knows. Because he wrote it. All right. It would be so super helpful to see the timeline. Is that part of the workbook? There is a timeline in every single chapter. You make your own, and we will come up with... Uh, what is at the one end? One of these days, maybe have to put out one of those uh, handy-dandy blog posts of yours. Yeah, with yeah, with, of, yeah, yeah, with where we stand. Um, so we're probably going to uh, lead off, as, as we did last week and this week, we'll lead off next week. And before we uh, hit Thessalonians, um, we'll, we'll just see if uh, someone wants to share their current understanding of their timeline. So you want to come next week instead of us making a list of what we did this week and so forth and seeing where that all sits. Um, I'll, uh, I'll ask uh, two of you to volunteer 
one on each side of the board and just lay out your timeline for us and give us an idea of how you think this is, uh, this is going so far. Uh, again, it's not, you know, who's, whose name has 666 and what date is the Messiah coming. We're all about the sequence. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good that we've covered so many things that will happen future from now. I think, I, I may be wrong, but I think everything that we've talked about since lesson one is after the diaspora and after today. Does everybody agree? <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. So the diaspora happened in uh, 70 of the Common Era, and uh, 135, I guess, uh, if you really want to get, it, get to it, uh, in that final battle. And uh, all the way to today, I don't think anything else has happened. So... Here we go. There's a law. We're all going right now. Stand by. So let's uh, let's just close in prayer. You? You prayed last week. You can't pray this week. You pray this no, week? Okay, sure. Pray this week. Hello, Father, we thank you for a chance to study your word and study your prophecies about the end. I ask that you would teach us not only um, what your plan is for the future to help us be prepared, but at the same time to help us to realize the lessons that we learned from that, the importance mm. of your sovereignty today, the importance of uh, giving thanks to you for what you've provided for us today, the recognition that uh, someday you will be king over all the world, but that, that, that this time you desire to be king in our lives. Uh, we just thank you for um, having not made us like the other nations of the, of the world, Hallelujah. but to uh, who worship a God who does not act and does not do anything, but instead we are privileged to serve the King of Kings. Mm -hmm. We are all this in Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We will see you next week for Lesson 5 in Thessalonians.